Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, and welcome to episode 25 of the Baseball From Home podcast, otherwise titled Why the White Sox Fired Ricky Renteria and Don Cooper. I'm Connor McKnight. He's Joe Brand. We're brought to you by the House of Out Podcast Network. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe's been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter I'm at C1 McKnight. He is at Joe underscore brand one. Please subscribe, rate, and review the pod. We would love if you did. It helps us get it to people that want to hear it. It's not just vanity, although we're broadcasters, so we have a little bit of that as well. I uh, would love to push this to as many baseball fans, as many Cubs fans, as many White Sox fans as possible. This show, though, this show is going to be just about the White Sox because they pulled something that not many expected after their ouster at the hands of the Oakland Athletics. They fired the manager, Ricky Renteria. They fired the pitching coach 10 or 12 minutes later in a press conference at the end of the year. It was like, oh, by the way, Don Cooper's fired as well. Uh, Not many people saw the first coming, and certainly nobody really saw the second coming 15 minutes into a press conference. So, Joe, uh, some, some, I don't know, would you call it head-scratching moves by Rick Hahn and the White Sox front office, or is it just a little less than head-scratching? It's a little less because these aren't your grandparents' White Sox. This is a Jerry Reinsdorf-owned team that has now uh, done the things that he's always said and been pointed at by fingers of White Sox fans in the past. You don't do this. You don't rebuild. You don't trade with the Cubs. You don't fire your manager. All those things have happened over the past couple of years. Now, the Tony La Russa situation, the Sox are either playing this very wisely or they're crazy. And I didn't say dumb. I said crazy. <laughs> so we'll get into that. You mentioned my grandparents' White Sox. I'm old. Uh, I'm old as balls. So that my grandparents' White Sox actually might have been Louis Aparicio, right? Like, I, I think that's how far back they would go. I mean, there was... I think there was another pandemic going on when it was my grandfather's White Sox. That's how that's how old I am and how old the general was, you know? I, I think I'm there, too. My my grandma always used to talk about how much she loved Minnie Minoso. And my grandpa always, always talked about Toothpick Jones. I've never looked this up. Apparently, there was a pitcher, maybe he wasn't even on the Sox, but called Toothpick Jones. He'd always have a toothpick, and he'd have a balloon pitch, which sounded like a sinker that how they used to throw yeah. before a sinker was actually a sinker and yeah. just lob the ball and it would just rainbow down into the strike zone. So I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Text text Benetti and tell him to get Toothpick Jones into a Sox math next season. I should tell you, 
None of this would be possible without David Hochberg and all of the fine folks at Team Hochberg. Not only would I not have a roof over my head, but they sponsored the House of L podcast network and our show as well. Team Hochberg wrapped up the mortgage for my house here in Wicker Park. And as it happens, just like last week, I shot an email to Kevin Kochman over at Team Hochberg because I had a question about, you know, mortgages and pandemics because I have a mortgage and we're going through a pandemic. So I was like, oh, I, I got a couple of questions. I know we haven't been in touch in a little while. You know, do you mind walking me through a couple of things? It's like, dude, of course, anytime you have questions, just let me know. So like span of three emails, I got the whole, you know, thing worked out, ready to roll. This is, I bought the place almost three years ago and Team Hochberg is still helping me through my mortgage issues and questions and concerns. They are absolutely fantastic. They will do the absolute best job for you. Highly endorse Team Hawkberg. Give them a call, 855-56-DAVID, or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS 1124061. So, the Ricky Renteria era comes to an end after... Crushing the White Sox winning season drought, the playoff drought. Sure, they're, you know, shuffled off in a three-game series against the Oakland A's. But Ricky Renteria did a lot of things that is going to land him in, you know, trivia question books. The first manager to make the playoffs after blah. The first manager to, you know, win a playoff game after blah. That's, all those guys are going to be Ricky Renteria, and he is gone. I think... I think most important here, and I understand that we're, you know, full disclosure, we're broadcasting a couple of days after this news hit. Uh, the powers that be decided to knock the internet out of my house for a solid two days, so that's a blast. But, you know, we're sitting down a couple of days late. I still think that the biggest headline from this is is truly, this was not how Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams, and, and to a certain extent Jerry Reinsdorf and Ricky Renteria, saw this going. The expectation was for Ricky Renteria to be the guy that piloted the White Sox to a World Series or darn close. And it didn't work out that way. I do enjoy a lot of baseball experts and you know high-quality reporters talking about how Ricky Renteria does a good job of establishing a clubhouse and, and building a culture, which he seemed to have done with the Cubs, even though it was just one year. Um, but but that's really seemed to be the case with the White Sox. Heading into that that press conference, I don't know. Almost the day before, I kind of had a feeling. I'm like, you know what? If again, if if Jerry Reinsdorf didn't trade with the Cubs before, if he didn't give the okay to go ahead and trade Chris Sale, I think you know what? Yeah, the White Sox will be hanging on to Rick Renteria. But when it comes down to it, I think of course they want to win. Of course, that notion has been floated out there about Jerry Reinsdorf getting older and wanting to see another championship. But the fact that all, all the all the monologue from Rick Hahn in the past was, no, Ricky Renneria is our guy heading into the future. We see him winning a World Series with this organization. If you're a GM, what else are you going to say when you're posed those questions I, I did think when the Cubs hired Rick Renteria, I mean, okay, this is a guy's first managerial opportunity. He didn't blow me away. I'm thinking, okay, maybe there's still another manager still away from, from winning the World Series. I think a lot of other people had that assumption. I'm not doing that to tout myself. But 
I, I almost wonder how differently it goes if the White Sox not even win the division. What if what if they just fall into second place? Yeah. I mean I mean what what happens if they still lose that series, but in a different manner? And I and I, I said before I I don't put game three loss the game three loss of the wild card series on one person, player, or coach. I, I don't think that's fair. But I wonder because it, it's almost like everything happened so not, not even drastically, but but just so in the wrong notion towards the White Sox that they go, okay, yeah, maybe we do have to make a move. Maybe we are just one step away in this category. Here's another what if for you: What if Jimenez doesn't hurt his foot rounding third base? You know, I mean, that there's there's a lot of things that could have gone right, despite how Ricky kind of managed in the last, despite some of the mistakes he managed around, I guess, or with, or or through, uh, in the last three weeks of the season, that that maybe gets circumvented if Aloy Jimenez is healthy. It'd be a weird, you know, that's a weird what if game to play. But there are a lot available to the White Sox, to White Sox fans if you want to play that game. I mean, even if you were to just kind of flip the season over, what if what if they did so poorly in the beginning of the year? I know they got off to a slow start, but what if they went on this surge and then just ran out of gas in the playoffs? Is that still a fireable offense for your manager? I, you're right. There are a lot of what-if questions, but um, I, I think Ricky Renneria does have to get some credit, a lot of credit for what he had done. Clearly, there were mistakes that we had talked about that we had devoted an entire podcast to. But we, we've heard other baseball minds say of how great of a player's manager he is, and it kind of seemed like that ended up being one of his flaws rather than one of his good traits when it came down to it. Yeah, and even still, you know, through the player-manager thing, you you still have Dallas Keuchel calling out the team's execution back in August. You have Jose Abreu, unquestioned, you know, leader of the clubhouse, admitting that uh, the team kind of took their eye off the prize. They finished 4-11. and there was that Ken Rosenthal report a day or two, I think, before the end of the season, uh, saying that some veterans wanted Ricky to hold players more accountable. So even within his strengths, there were a couple of issues. I think even within his issues, there there were a couple of strengths, right? I, I've talked a lot about how important I think it was for guys like Lucas Chilito or Reynaldo Lopez, despite what they did with the with the moment afterward or what they did after the moment. But when Ricky Renneria comes out there and puts his hand on your shoulder and says, listen, I know the bases are loaded and I know it's the seventh and I know we're only up by two, um, but this is yours. This is going to be your growing moment. Like G Lito's spoken a hundred times about what that meant to him. The first time Ricky came out there with that message, Ronaldo Lopez was afforded the same thing. I think Dylan C's got one or two of those at one point during this year. And, and those are growth opportunities that Ricky sought to give to those pitchers. And I think those are important lessons to get learned. And it doesn't mean that that just because you get handed that lesson that you're then going to succeed, right? I mean, talent has a play in here somewhere. But those are important things for a manager to do. He did those, uh, even if within that, you know, little circle of managerial talent, uh, there there also exists these questions of bullpen management. Daryl Van Scowen had a pretty good and interesting article in the Chicago Sun-Times talking about uh, maybe some lingering issues between Rick Hahn and Ricky Renneria and even Don Cooper, but he, he mentions how that's probably the final game that Ricky Renneria has managed. He probably knows that. I can see that being the case, but I don't see him being done coaching um, because of what we've just talked about and 
I mean, the way you look at it, yeah, he, he's a fantastic bench coach because he just instills a very good culture in the clubhouse. He helps players grow. He helps players learn. Um, but maybe has a little bit of trouble making the correct decision. And when you're a manager, that that's what it comes down to. So I think that managerial search is really going to focus on that aspect. But I, I know you want to get into Don Cooper, Connor, because I, Don I, Cooper's got a soft spot in your heart, definitely. He, he does. He, he truly does. He's got a reservation in my heart anytime he wants to check in. The man is uh, is an absolute treasure and one of the – one of the only people over 65 that has dropped food into my lap off his plate. It's, um, it's a it, really, I, I truly, he's a crazy person. And I mean that like with, with all the, the respect that comes with the phrase, he is a crazy person. But I, I always learned something talking to Coop. I shouldn't say always, because there were some days, there were some days where the man just wanted to do his minute and a half and, and get onto the ball field. And I don't blame anybody for that when you're on, you know, like a, an eight game skid or something like that. Cause I was, I was with the White Sox with some tough times. So that happens. But if, if he wanted to talk, man, he'd teach. I mean, there was a lot to be learned from him. And I think the White Sox as an organization earned, uh, learned a lot from him. You can James Fegan did the math, and I think you know based on wins above replacement and man games lost, Don Cooper's right at the top of pitching coaches over the last you know decade and a half. The White Sox, even though you know some injuries popped up over the last handful of years, the White Sox were a remarkably healthy team for almost all of Don Cooper's tenure, and were very very effective in terms of starting pitching and for the most part, bullpens. Coop has a hell of a resume. He's one of the, one of this last 20 years, most successful pitching coaches in terms of, you know, results, if not ranks. Well, before Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal and Tim Anderson, you know, came into their shine this year, the stigma that stuck with the Sox for so long was, why can't they develop any hitters? Why can't they develop any position players? And that's because of how well they were developing their pitchers. Um, a, a fantastic run, probably one of, if not the best, for a pitching coach in the major leagues. I think everyone who's dealt with the White Sox or even just worked maybe for a day has a Don Cooper story. Um, but but that's just the kind of person he is. He's from New York, right? I mean, oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's got that Jerry Reinsdorf connection, and he's got that just that big personality attitude that's going to be very hard to to fill. But again. This is this is a big step for the White Sox because this is something that they've never done. And pointed it out, this is really Rick Hahn's first managerial search. I mean, they hired Rick Renneria less than 24 hours after Robin Ventura had left or chosen to leave or whatever it happened to be. Um, and he got the job officially uh, a year after... Uh, Kenny Williams hired Robin Ventura. So, I mean, this is the first full-on search. The White Sox is a very new thing to them. So that brings me into the Tony La Russa situation because it's just so White Sox. I mean, one of the first things that Rick Hahn said in the press conference was, "We're not. it's not going to be from within. We've immediately told Ozzie Guillen, we are not hiring him as the manager. We respect him as a person, appreciate everything he's done. We're not hiring him. It'll ideally be somebody from outside the organization. I get it. Tony La Russa has not been part of the White Sox organization since the 80s, but 
He and Jerry Reinsdorf are like two peas in a pod. One time at the winter meetings, I saw them have lunch together for like three days straight and never saw them walk away from each other while roaming the casinos of Las Vegas. So You, you realize now that in my head, they were actually eating the same lunch for <laughs> three days, right? It wasn't like three consecutive lunches. It was they sat down for lunch on Thursday and they didn't leave the lunch until Saturday afternoon. Same same restaurant. They were like, sirs, we need you to leave, please. And no, no. I'm, you, I'm Jerry Reitzdorf. I'm you, not going anywhere. I eat lunch whenever and for however long I want. So I said this in the open. The Tony LaRusa news is either a very wise move by the White Sox, just the news, not not saying a hire or even an interview, but the news is either a very wise move or a very crazy one. And I won't say dumb because what the hell? What if what if you're not in it for AJ Hinch or Alex Cora for whatever reason you've you got this whole stigma for cheating and you just say, I'm gonna give this explosive team to Tony LaRussa for a year or even hire somebody in the waiting to learn under Tony just for a year to keep his name relevant or whatever. I'm not calling it dumb. Plenty of people can call it dumb. I'm not going to argue on that. It's crazy. It's 100% crazy. Or it is what a lot of people have suspected, just a ploy to keep the conversation White Sox focused for a week straight or a few days straight and to keep Tony LaRusso's name as a favor from Reinsdorf to him, then I can see it being a very, very wise move. I'm not saying hire Tony LaRusso. I'm saying those are my two ideas of the whole Tony LaRusso news segment. I'll, I'll just ask you a favor on the Tony LaRusso thing, and then we'll we'll move on to the other candidates you mentioned. I I bet please don't make me do that math on this podcast right now. Well, I got I got a pandemic, I got a presidential election, I got a job search, I got bills to pay. I got internet going out for two straight days. I got an HVAC unit that's going to drop through the ceiling at any moment. I can't at Joe, I can't add having to do math on Tony Arusa as a manager in 2020. If it happens, I'll do the math. We'll do the podcast. I just can't do it right now, Joe. Stop asking me to do the math. What math? What math? The math I refuse to do. I won't do it. Here's what I do find interesting, though. If if we're going to talk about A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora as top candidates for the White Sox job, or really under any other managerial job that might come open here in the next little bit, you know, the Tigers job, for instance, I, I think the issue is going to be framed as not so much, or, or I think the issue should be framed as not so much is cheating okay, because obviously, no, it's not. Cheating isn't okay. But the fact of the matter is, is that more than just the Astros were involved in cheating or cheating like the Astros had got caught doing. It is not the first time a team, an entire organization, has been involved in cheating like this. And it won't be the last. Um, that isn't to excuse any of it. That's just to lay the groundwork for a baseball team that wants to win baseball games will hire a manager who has won baseball games, almost regardless of that guy's record off the field. Sure, obviously there are some ex extenuating circumstances, and if somebody had a criminal record, you know, all that kind of stuff. That that all matters, but you get what I'm talking about, right? This is a baseball crime, and A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora have done time 
for their baseball crime. The question, though, is, especially in the case of A.J. Hinch, if you are the manager unable to stop and or unwilling to stop behavior you know is wrong, can you be a good manager? I think the answer there might be no. But but the question you pose insinuates that the White Sox are going to be making counterfeit five dollar bills, and he knows it's wrong, and I got to stop this. But but man, is this good for business? I mean, it's it's not like he's going to find himself in that situation again, no. right? No, no, no. I don't. I don't think he'll be in a cheating scandal again. I don't think anyone's. You know, I don't think Nick Madrigal is going to be. You know, uh, selling sneakers out the back or anything like that. What I what I do think though is that if you are a manager that that can't find it in yourself to assert your will in a clubhouse, then what are you doing? You know, like it. If the only thing you're well, I shouldn't say only. But if the thing you're best at is making sure that you've taken all of the data from the front office and thrown that into your lineups and bullpen management and all that kind of stuff, that's great. But it's clear and evident that even in 2019, and I'm only saying 2019 because that's when the cheating was happening, you still need someone to man the decks, you know, to actually manage people. Right. So, so you're saying the inability to stop the cheating could play a factor in the value of managing. Right. I, I I get that point. What I'll say to that is, and you mentioned the word criminal earlier, I mean, the FBI hires former criminals to do good, and you've got a very intelligent, good managing human being that has seen, seen a, a significant advantage to do things like help you win the World Series, and he's been part of the in and outs and, and the strategic cheating that it is. Like you said, it's cheating. It is bad. It's baseball cheating. They're not killing anybody except for Dodgers fans' hopes and dreams. But but I don't know. I, I kind of enjoy the the criminal mastermind now doing some good in this type of situation. And that's the other thing. Like You know that he's going to be looked at under a microscope you know that ever well baseball in general will but but him too and there's no way that even like the slightest bit of cheating he can feel like oh yeah we can get away with this and I don't even know what that is if that's a little bit of pine tar down your bat or or anything whatsoever um because he's just want to he's probably going to want to clean his record as much as possible and what better way to do that with a team that can really take off and an organization and a front office that believes in you. I really do like the way Rick Hahn kind of positioned his team when he was talking about what that next manager is going to be like. He knows and understands and is willing to talk about the fact that uh, we're a damn good team and we expect some damn good managers to apply through LinkedIn on our page for the <laughs> managerial. They do that that way, right? You just you go through LinkedIn and you have to find who the hiring manager is. It's like, oh, is it Rick? Is it Jeremy? I don't know. Uh, but I, that's... He knows that they deserve the best managers out there. Um, you know, I, 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 they do. That's <laughs> just, they do. They're a damn good ball club. And I, I would expect, and we're going to get into what the, the offseason may hold for them, or at least some expectations for the offseason in a second. But 
I, I would expect that any conversation they're going to have with that next manager or the managers that are interviewing are also going to include, yeah, here's how we're going to make this team even better for 2021. It's the most coveted job in baseball right now um, because, well, number one, it's one of the only available ones. But still, I mean, a lot of people want a piece of the White Sox pie because of all this young talent and just kind of the incentive to – entice some free agents to come over on the south side this upcoming year. I wonder if that'll play a factor. I heard somebody mention it that, oh, I don't like the idea of hiring A.J. Hinch because that hurts their chances of hiring or signing Trevor Bauer. I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, but but it's, it's, it's a great thing for White Sox fans when, hey, we need a new manager. All right, who are the best four candidates? And we get to choose from it. Not that it'll necessarily go that way, that's a great spot to be in. I do think that I, I, I've been saying the name a, a lot, and other people have too, but Joe Espada kind of really rings true to me just because he's a guy that hasn't gotten the managerial shot just yet. He joined the Astros after the cheating scandal, yeah. but he came he came from the Yankees. So, I mean, he's he's got his resume all right then and there. Um, and, and clearly the Astros are, are still a good team. When they're not cheating, I get it. They're down 3-0 to the Rays. Probably will win Game Four today, but but they're clearly still a good team. So I don't know. I, I like that name for the most part. But um, I mean, you're hearing Bruce Bochy. You're even hearing Mike Sosha, which I think might be a bit of a stretch. But I, I don't think I don't think you would have expected for the White Sox to a let go of Ricky Renteria or mutually part ways, whatever it ended up being. And B to to have all those names be at the White Sox court. Like, hey, we have the availability. Who do we want? What can you bring to us? So it's it's an exciting time, and they're the biggest story of baseball right now. So again, back to the Tony Larusa. No, thing. I not saying we have to go. Don't make there. me do that. I just don't want to do it right now. I've got other things to deal with. <laughs> I I think it's interesting that you brought up Bauer. Um, and Lord knows we're we're gonna bring up Trevor Bauer here a couple of times. Um. And it's got nothing to do with this social media discipline or lack thereof. But the the Bauer Hinch thing is interesting because I, I do think the two would butt heads. I, I do think that 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 would be an issue if you hired Hinch um, about Bauer potentially coming to the White Sox. That's OK. Um, you know, Hinch comes maybe with George Springer, which would be great. You desperately need a right fielder. We'll get into that in a little bit, too. But the guy you you. A lot of people have brought up as far as like, oh, you got you wonder what AJ Hinch and Yasmani Grandal would talk about together. And I I get it, right? Like Hinch's team screwed Grandal's team over. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. But at the same time, if, if you think back, and I don't know, maybe a lot of listeners won't remember this, but when Parkins and McNeil were doing the show, uh, Yes, Mining Grandall was signed. Dan and I were doing the show the morning before that. And we talked all about Grandall that morning. I think the news broke just as we were getting ready to go on air, just as we had started or something like that. Oh, no, I, I saw it on Twitter during a break. And I was like, uh, we're canceling everything that's coming up next. We need to talk about Yes, Mining Grandall. So the, the boys, Parkins and McNeil, had Grandall on that afternoon. 
And, you know, Shep texted, the producer, Nick Shepkowski texted me. He's like, hey, Grandal's coming on. You got to, I think I was going rock climbing or something like that. You got to, you got to turn the show on. We're going to have him on in like a couple of minutes. I'm like, all right, thanks for letting me know. I appreciate it. So I threw it on and they asked him about the whole cheating thing. And Grandal's response was, yeah, it doesn't matter. I don't care. A lot, a lot of people do it. I don't really, you know, if we, if we went after everybody that cheated, we'd be doing this a long time. And then just moved the hell on. <laughs> and for me, that's that's evidence of a lot of different things. But it's certainly evidence that yeah, I don't think Yasmani Grandal would really have a big problem with AJ Hinch or Alex Cora coming in to manage the White Sox. One day, Yasmani Grandal was getting interviewed by Jason Benetti. Oh, it was after the walk-off homer game that he had, um, after he let the ball slip through his legs behind home plate. Right. And he's he's talking. I asked my wife, I go, where do you think he's from? Where do, where do you think he was born and or grew up? She goes, I don't know, Southern Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you cannot be more wrong. <laughs> born in Cuba. Uh, grew up in, in Florida, and she's like, what? That makes zero sense. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. That's why I asked. Um, so adding more to the Yasmani Grandal, not caring about much other than winning. Yeah, um, Yeah. that's that's the way I see it, and I, that's interesting. I know I, I brought up the Bauer-Hinch situation, but I didn't even think about that, about how they would butt heads, but it almost seems like he's going to butt heads with – Anybody that's not Terry Francona, I, I guess I don't really know how he and Mike Bell got along, but I, I can see Mike Bell being a very players-friendly manager type guy. Um, but, but I mean, who knows? Maybe, I don't know. I, sometimes a club does need a little bit of adversity, and I think you saw that play into the White Sox favor when Dallas Keuchel talked to the team. And we talked about it on the podcast about how maybe that does a little bit better because it's not the manager. That's not quite how it seems the front office thought towards the end of the season. Um, but but there's got to be a leader some way. And um, so do you, do you like Trevor Bauer beating your leader for the White Sox? If Hinch, no Bauer. I can, I just, I, that, it won't happen that way. I just, I would be floored if it did, but if Hinch, no Bauer, uh, I would be interested to see if, if, if you do get Bauer, if, if one team does get Bauer, the White Sox have a pitching coach vacancy and I know they love Matt Zaleski and, and I do too. Actually, here's a weird little thing. I was going through some old audio that I had on my phone. And this was from a spring training trip. Oh, pardon, an Arizona Fall League trip that I took in like 16. And, you know, it's the Arizona Fall League. So I just wanted to grab every White Sox player there. So I'm scrolling through the roster like, all right, that's a White Sox. Give me that guy. Give me Sebi Zavala. Give me, you know, give me Chase Fry. Give me all these guys, right? And Matt Foster is there in the Arizona Fall League. And I, I was the pre and post game host for the White Sox. And I'm looking at Matt Foster and going, I don't know who this man is, <laughs> but I talked to him anyway. Cause that's what you, you know, how the fall league works or spring training works. You talk to everyone and see what's good. And then you put it on air. So I'm talking to Matt Foster and I, I just was going back through the old audio and I realized that, Oh God, I have a Matt Foster interview on here from how, how long ago. And the, it's five and a half minutes of Matt Foster saying very little except that, Matt, that that Zaleski was was like the the pitching guru for him. Like the guy he just that's I just listen to what he says and then I go do it. I, I wouldn't be too shocked if if that's your next White Sox pitching coach. Unless Bauer wants to bring his buddy from Driveline or something like that. I mean no, I'm not talking about Kyle Bodie or anything, but you know, some other dude from Driveline. I, I wonder if that's something that entices a Trevor Bauer, you know, to be 
more a part of the pitching infrastructure while also being a pitcher. The the pitching coach vacancy is always very interesting with with any team because there's so many opportunities for people to get that job. There's guys in the minors that have been working their tails off and have been waiting for opportunities like that forever. And sometimes the organization just wants to go with somebody else. I mean, it's it's nowhere near the managerial hire in terms of, okay, we want to break away from somebody in-house or vice versa and, and go with somebody who's used to our guys. Um, I remember a guy in King County who was with the Red Sox for, I think, 12 years, and I think he got passed up for two pitching coach opportunities. And he's just like, you know what? I'm, I'm out. I'm done. And then went to a different organization. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's tough. Um because you bring up that, though, um, the Don Cooper uh, firing or, or whatever, mutual parting ways, um, it, it does kind of bring to light of of the recent White Sox pitchers of what they have done. And I know everyone is very romanticized with Don Cooper, but, I mean, the Lucas Giolito resurgence, he claims a lot of his individual work that he did in the off season, which seems like was a guy saying, you know what, I am figuring this out on my own. I, I'm a very intuitive guy. I'm going to work on what I can work on and, and use my mind a lot. And that, and that proved out to be right. But um, like a Dylan Cease or Reynaldo Lopez, those guys have fallen down, picked themselves up and fallen down again. So I, I think that's why it was an easier move to finally part ways. I don't want to say finally to actually part ways with Don Cooper um, which again shows you that yeah, this organization is is ready to move forward. It's it's not about um, the the past relationships that they've had. It's it's about what are we doing next year to make ourselves better. Yeah, and and to make you better next season, you know, you got to sign some arms. There's no doubt about that. There's a couple of positions that could be reinforced too, but the the best way to get better in 2021 is to have Dylan Cease be better and to have. I was going to say Carlos Rodon, but I kind of expect the guy to be yeah. non-tendered. Uh, to to have you know those dudes, Dane Dunning, uh, Jimmy Lambert, um, you know, go down the list. Have those guys get better and perform for you in your major league rotation. I I know we're going to do you know Joe, we're going to do like off-season podcasts for both the Cubs and the White Sox with like you know position by position kind of stuff. You know your your standard off-season fair, but with a with a unique baseball from home twist. But I do want to go through a, a couple of names slash positions for the White Sox here before we get rolling because, or before we head out, because the White Sox end of season press conference had a different tone than the Cubs did, right? Um, and I and I bring up the two only because we did a Cubs episode before and didn't get into a lot of the offseason plan because for the Cubs, it's just a very different situation. Rick Hahn gets to sit there and go, yeah, and, and chuckle a little bit about how right field has been tough for him lately. And he gets to chuckle because the rest of his team is really freaking good. You know, I mean, it's, you're okay. I got to fix that right fielder thing. I get that. Everybody else is pretty damn good. So I, I, I want to start with, with this. Edwin Encarnacion has a $12 million option. If, if I'm predicting things, I'm kind of declining the option I'm going to see what else I can do. I'm not so much for this roster in 2021. I'm not so much into positionless sluggers on the team anymore. Encarnacion's 2020 was a disappointment. He was just positionless and not a slugger. 
I, I don't think there's a lot of pieces out there that interest me as far as like, you know, your big bodied DH corner type guys. Jake Lamb is moderately interesting for me on like a buy low flyer kind of thing. But I, I get the sense that the A's are probably going to want to keep him around, not knowing what happens with Matt Chapman long term. Um, but the in-house solution might be the easiest one, and that's just get a place ready for Andrew Vaughn to slide in there and take a lot of work at first base slash DH. The Andrew Vaughn thing intrigues me because, I mean, you're kind of gambling on a, what, 23-year-old getting a lot of playing time in his first year in the majors and kind of having a, a lot of pressure to do well because you've got a very productive lineup. And, I, I mean, we saw how how much Edwin Encarnacion's struggles affected the White Sox offense. So the the thing I wonder is what if – and it won't happen. It won't happen, but I wish they would think about it a little bit more because the Sox have been very clear that Eloy Jimenez is going to be an outfielder before we just give up on him and put him at the DH role. But what if you just kind of double down with two corner outfielders? And it doesn't have to be uh, George Springer and Michael Brantley and – you know, you got these. You're paying a lot of money for two guys. I mean, what if you got a middle tier guy and a George Springer, and then just worked Aloy Jimenez in the DH role just a little bit more? He takes a load off defensively. If he does, I don't anticipate him having any lingering issues with his lower body. But if he were, that gives him a little bit of a break too. And you don't put as much pressure on Andrew Vaughn because the other thing is they're not going to have. They're probably not going to have James McCann. So it's it's not going to be this whole rotation of Abreu, Vaughn, Grandal in the DH first base role because Grandal is going to have to catch a lot more than he did this past season. So I, I almost kind of think they would just explore that aspect a little bit just because you're still getting your potential out of Aloy Jimenez and maybe a little bit more because he's out of the field more. I, I want to swing into the outfield in a second but I, I do want to start or go to McCann here he's he's not coming back I I'm sorry White Sox fans he's not coming back and it's that's a good thing for James McCann and the McCanns right that guy is going to get starting paper James McCann with the exception of JT Real Muto and Mike Zunino, who has a club option, is the youngest free agent catcher on the marketplace. He is pretty good defensively. He's not real Muto, obviously, but he's pretty good defensively. And it seems he's still got a stick that's worth something if he's that good defensively behind the plate. I'm not really sure where the baseline offense is for James McCann after, you know, the 60 games of 2020, but the you know, pretty stellar 2019, even if you've got a month and a half at the back end of the year that wasn't very good. Here's what Rick Hahn said, word for word, verbatim, on James McCann. You tell me if there should instill confidence in James McCann coming back. We're going to stay in touch, and we're going to see how this market unfolds. He's going to explore his options, and we're going to be diligent about making sure he understands how he potentially fits and seeing how things go. That said, he's an awfully good player at a premium position, and those guys tend to have pretty good markets. Na 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 na. Hey hey hey. Goodbye is what he probably should have said. And good on you. And good on the White Sox. Really? Yeah. You yeah. took. I killed the James McCann signing when it happened because when they signed him, he wasn't very good defensively and he couldn't hit. Then he fixed some things, took to some tutelage, made a real great improvement defensively and offensively, brought himself to above water as a catcher. 
That is exactly how you want that thing to work. Now, granted, you know, you want to get something for your efforts and maybe trade McCann or what have you, but the, the whole marketplace is screwed up and they never had a chance to do it. Well, and he complimented Lucas Giolito and is a probably vital part of his resurgence in 2019. That's a great point. If nothing else, if, if you've gotten a 10% better, if you've gotten an any percent better Lucas Giolito for the next X amount of years because you had James McCann for a year and 60 games, that's a great signing. That's a great signing. I was going to say, even if you take out the Giolito aspect, how it's a great signing. I, I, I don't think you should be down on yourself for tearing apart the James McCann whole uh, revival club because, I mean, heck, he, he, he surprised everybody with it. I, I think it had a lot to do with breaking out of the organization you grew up with. Uh, it's so cool about how he helped Giolito, saying something along the lines of, hey, I remember when we were facing you when I was on Detroit and we saw your demeanor, and, and that was just a, a whole uptick for him too. You're right. It's an awesome, feel-good story. James McCann is like a fantastic dude, and I get it when you – are the guy that always has to answer questions about how you're struggling, and then you come to a new town and everybody wants to talk to you for how great you're doing. It's easy to talk. It's easier to talk to the media, but that dude had time for everybody last season in the clubhouse. So it was it was a very cool thing to see play out. And you're right, he's going to get paid. He's going to earn his money, and even if he doesn't perform to what he did with the White Sox. There's a reason why you play that well, to, to get that kind of payout. So hopefully it is a happy ending overall for James McCann. You mentioned Michael Brantley as a solution in the outfield and George Springer. You know, I'd, I'd love the double down in the outfield approach. Springer's a very good right fielder. Brantley can absolutely handle himself in, in left. I don't know how great an arm Michael Brantley has right now. Uh, and I, I mean that from like an, I, I truly don't know. I, I don't know. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how, how healthy he is and how good he feels. He's had a lot of injuries on that 34 year old body. George Springer's 30, going to be 31. He makes a lot of sense. You know, that's your probably the most expensive free agent on the market, free agent position player, right? You've got real Muto. Um, and I think, you know, that maybe, maybe not DJ LeMayhew may be the, the biggest number next year because he'll he's so likely to get the qualifying offer from the Yankees and and probably accept it given his age and performance. I just you know all of this comes with the caveat of no one knows what the market is going to look like. No one knows what numbers are going to happen. No one knows what players are going to sign multi-year deals or opt for one hoping for a better marketplace after that. I have no clue. I don't even know, Joe, if the arbitration calculator is going to be affected or how it's going to be affected by a 60-game season. Um, Lucas Giolito hits arbitration year number one. And, oh, check this. You're going to love this. Giolito hits arbitration year number one. Do you know you're not on Baseball Reference page right now, are you? I mean, I have a tab. I have a tab. Don't go. Don't do it. Do you know who Lucas Giolito's most similar pitcher through age 25 is? Hold on. Give me a second. Luckily, this is a podcast, so I can take my time. I'll give you one hint. It is an active player. Masahiro Tanaka. It's Trevor Bauer. Wow. I know. How bizarre is that? How crazy is that? Trevor Bauer re-signed and avoided arbitration in year one. He got like three and a half he got 6.25 after winning his year two arbitration case. So 
I, I'm figuring it's north of five. Not that it really matters because the White Sox have $100 million to play with, you know, before you get the competitive bargaining tax or, you know, the salary cap. But it's a, it's a bargaining tax. The salary cap. Uh, so you got to figure it's, it's you know, probably north of five considering his last performance. But that whole year spent as the American League's worst starting pitcher does crazy things to your ARB calculator, I have to imagine. Yeah, no, that that is wild. Um, is that bizarre? Yeah, and I mean, Masahiro Tanaka kind of got a slow start off to his major league career with the Yankees, right? That's why I'm yeah, not he crazy. Did. Okay. Yeah, well, he did. Yeah. Well, any of the, uh, you know, the elbow go wrong for him right, like, almost right. immediately, right? Okay. Was it year yeah. one or year two? I guess I guess I undershot Lucas Giolito, though. Um, and I, I, I hate to make it all a, oh, feel good about the White Sox, but Honestly, they're they're a destination now for these free agents. It's it's not two years ago when they were trying to court Manny Machado and Bryce Harper on just words. They've got evidence that that they're ready to do this, and maybe with an exciting new manager too, that can help the case too. So, guys might be a little bit more inclined to take even shorter deals if they're not if they know they're not going to get paid because of the pandemic. And you know what? Screw it. I'm going to sign with this team for a year. I'm going to hopefully win a ring increase my value and then play the whole free agency game the next year because that's probably the only way I'm going to make some real hard money in the long run anyway I don't think there's any reason for the White Sox to not be a top bidder for George Springer um I don't think there's any reason you notice I I was thinking about this the other day and maybe I've missed it you know I don't read every clipping in the Houston Chronicle um about the Astros I I probably could but I don't you notice you go down the list of Astros who have kind of mouthed off this year, right? Whether it's like Carlos Correa saying, what are people going to say about us now and all that absolute nonsense. But a lot of guys, a lot of guys have said stuff. I I haven't heard word one from George Springer, either offering a defense of his team or saying any of the we rose above adversity nonsense. I haven't heard Jack from that guy. Makes me wonder if he's not all that enthused with the whole current culture of the Houston Astros and if he wouldn't mind striking out on his own within an organization that doesn't need him to be anything other than George Springer in right field. Now I really want to know how that plays a factor, I mean, after this year. And years down the road, will the Astros slowly leave? I get it, that happens with every championship club, but but will these guys slowly want to get out of Houston because they hate that that stigma and that identity that they had? I mean, heck, even Dallas Keuchel had to answer the questions at SoxFest this past year, which he did so very, very well. Um, but, yeah, that that is an interesting point. Um, <laughs> what was the horrible... Uh, it was it was Astros Fest or whatever, where they're all answering the questions terribly. We're focused on next year. That's all we're focused on. It was the one. It was the Jim Crane press conference where he was like, "Yeah, I don't believe our cheating had any impact on the actual game." <laughs> like he he said it. He, <laughs> then why he said it? it? He said it out loud. Like uh but the statement you released like five minutes ago said it did. And MLB's findings said it did. Like, what are you talking about, man? A uh, c- couple of things. I, I want to validate your Matt Zaleski uh, promotion for yeah. pitching coach. A few minor league pitchers have uh, talked about that on Twitter. So I did notice that. He's he's the guy, like, if you go to the, for those, for those of you who haven't been to the fall league, like, 
pitchers from many different teams get grouped onto one of I think it's six. It's six or eight teams. I can't remember. I've I've been every season. I think I think I it's six. Yeah. I think it's six teams. Uh, but a bunch of players get grouped in, and then you know a handful of pitching coaches get tossed in there as well. So you've got pitching coaches from a different couple of different organizations, pitchers from a couple of different ones, and Zaleski's all like he's always got somebody hanging around him, somebody with a with a you know from a different organization or working with somebody, all that kind of stuff. Like he's just that kind of guy. He's just he just he has that reputation. I, I, I don't think that, you know, if you're a White Sox fan, it's like, oh, we got to stop hiring from inside. I understand where you're coming from. And Rick Hahn even mentioned as much in the press conference. But if, if Matt Zaleski is your pitching coach hire, that is not the guy to get upset about being insular. With. I, I would think so, too. Arlington Heights native and uh, an alum of Indiana State University, the Sycamores. So he's got the homegrown ties. And an 4 draftee, which puts him in the same class as Gio Gonzalez, if I'm not mistaken. One more guy that I just want to put out there now. I, we're going to do the whole White Sox offseason plan thing. I just sometimes I get a feeling about something like this and I. I don't. I'm not tooting a horn or anything, but I I get lucky on on some of these. Jurickson Profar is 28 years old, even though it feels like he's been in baseball for 30 years. He's played left, right, center, first, and second in 2020. He played 68 games at shortstop in 2018. Not that I'm saying you know you're replacing Tim Anderson with Jurickson Profar or anything. I'm not. I'm not high. I, I'm just saying from a positional versatility standpoint, that's interesting to me. I I don't know what he's going to command in a free agency, but he hits now, and he wasn't doing that in the first you know two decades of his Major League Baseball career. Jerickson Profar is a, is a really interesting character to me, especially when you start talking about a team that lacked some positional versatility last season and could gain quite a bit. With a guy like Profar. Well, they did lack that because of losing Larry Garcia for the majority of the season. But Gar- no doubt. Garcia's a free agent, no? This upcoming He's he's got a player uh club option. He's got a buyout. He's got a buyout of like two hundred and fifty, which means the club option on him is something like three and change. Yeah. So yeah, sure. I like it. Um and even, okay, again, you get a Jerickson Profar and maybe a George Springer. You spell Eloy Jimenez in left field a little bit. A lot. Listen, it's the White Sox. They're still going to have to get creative at some point. I mean, they signed Nomar Mazzara. They traded for Nomar Mazzara this past year. How about that? How about this is the second straight year that the offseason needs are pretty much the same? Yeah. We need a DH. We yeah. need a right fielder. We need yeah. some starting pitching. I mean, yeah, they took care of the starting pitching, but they still need a little bit more. But I found that a little bit interesting. Uh, clearly at the top of the list is finding the manager first. But, um, yeah, just, that, that just seemed very White Sox to me. It's like, oh, yeah, we made the playoffs first time in 12 years, got all this upside, but, yeah, we still need to fill these certain holes. And I loved the Encarnacion signing. I loved it. I'd do it again. You know, if you put me back in the same spot and we're like, yeah, there's a chance that it comes up Snake Eyes and he has the season that he did. Uh, that's out there. I'm like, well, he'd, he'd never have that bad of a season. No, no, no I'm telling you, it could happen that way. Ah, the hell with it. I'm signing him again. I, I We'll go through the arms. We'll go through position by position for both teams. And I, I know people probably clamoring for starting pitching help. I, I guess we can just end this by I, by saying 
the White Sox need to sign a top three starter. I mean, that's just, that needs to happen, whether that's Trevor Bauer or somebody else. The White Sox need to bring in a body that they can present at SoxFest as, here is your number three starter. No matter how much you despise game three and people's decisions and players' outputs, it came down to it the way it did is because they had no starting pitching depth. I mean, they had to rely on a Dane Dunning that had spent a month and a half in the major leagues and then was called upon to start game three in the postseason. So, yes, that that is going to be the biggest thing. It'll probably go manager, starting pitcher, radio deal, corner outfielder, <laughs> and then just move down the line. I, I think the corner outfielder is going to be slightly above radio deal. I think it's safe to say that the White Sox can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time and sign a right fielder and acquire a new radio deal wherever that is while they're doing the right fielder thing. I'm sure they can. That's going to do it for this episode of the Baseball From Home podcast. Thanks so much for listening all season long. We are going to have a, a long and, you know, chunkish Cubs and White Sox off-season podcast, and maybe even a series. I don't know. Joe and I haven't decided exactly how that's going to work yet, but uh, we're going to go through position by position. Uh, The depth chart, the off-season plan, the free agent signings for both ball clubs. So if you're a Cubs fan listening to this just because you like us, or if you're a White Sox fan that has some horrible hatred for the Cubs that won't let you stop listening to them or something like that. If you hate listening for the Cubs, we've got that for you too. Thanks for listening. This is baseball from home. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.